Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoy the review that you're about to hear. If you do, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button, and I'll continue to deliver all of the latest film reviews downloaded into your podcast player of choice throughout the course of the year. Also, if you want to write to me about anything that you hear within this show or just want to say hello, you can do so by going to my website, quipster.net. You can find my contact information there as well as links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page so that you'll always know when I post a new review. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R dot net. On this show, I'm going to be reviewing the latest in the Star Trek reboot series, This one is called Star Trek Beyond. It's a science fiction adventure, as with pretty much every other Star Trek property. PG-13 rated because of some strong language, and it runs an hour and 56 minutes. The cast brings back Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Carl Urban, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, John Cho, the late Anton Yelchin, who died shortly after the production and just before the release of this film. Supporting roles go to Idris Elba and Sophia Boutella, the director is Justin Lin, and the screenplay is by Simon Pegg, yes, the one who plays Montgomery Scott in the film, and Doug Jung. You know, it should be noted here that the Star Trek reboot franchise, the one that was spearheaded initially in the first two films by J.J. Abrams, who still serves as a producer here for this third film, it's kind of taking more of a step back. I don't necessarily mean that that's in a bad way, but it's actually a return more to the formula that made Star Trek a rabid fan favorite for millions of viewers, you know, self-described Trekkers around the world for the last several decades. Many film critics, many casual fans of the series were on board for the prior entry, which was called Star Trek Into Darkness. However, it came to light that Star Trek Into Darkness was a film that was rejected by many of the franchise's most ardent of fans, claiming that the makers of this new series had been changing the nature of the characters too much from their original conception. They were playing a little too loose with the established mythos of the story by trying to rehash the very hallowed plotline in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, doing it in a way that made little sense, even when you take into consideration the alternate timeline premise Khan happens to look and sound entirely different in the universes, even though they should be identical. And the fact that they played too much for fan service, I think, started to get under the skin of some people. In other words, you know, fans, I think, of the Star Trek series just really want a good old school Star Trek adventure that isn't just a rehash of old Star Trek shows or films. They don't like many of the alterations to these traditional characters to try to tantalize new viewers. So, in short, I think that many of the fans feel that the series is kind of in the wrong hands because they're trying to be a little too cute with the things that many Trekkers hold sacred in order to play to an audience that never really cared that much about Star Trek. So, this film, Star Trek Beyond, is the third film in this reboot series. J.J. Abrams is vacating the director's chair because he was working on the Star Wars reboot. Filling in for Abrams is Justin Lin. Justin Lin's the director who popularized the Fast and Furious flicks. You know, he didn't originate the series, but a lot of the most popular entries in the series were directed by Justin Lin. Even though it has the look and the feel of the J.J. Abrams Star Treks, Justin Lin's Star Trek Beyond does gravitate more toward the basics of the original series, which is to explore new worlds and new civilizations and to encounter alien beings both beautiful and bizarre. This one is showcasing the third year of 
the Enterprise's five-year mission to find new worlds and new civilizations. You have Captain James T. Kirk here, played by Chris Pine once again. He's pondering at this stage of his life a career move for the better because he had a lot of heroic deeds chronicled in the previous two entries in the series. Certainly has a chance for advancement and something he's mulling over now. However, those decisions end up having to wait because they end up picking up an escape pod survivor, an alien that they had never encountered before. And that leads the Enterprise to travel to a strange part of the galaxy on a mission to rescue the rest of this survivor's ship's crew in uncharted territory. However, once they're there, this, the Enterprise crew finds that they've been shuttled right into a trap. It's been masterminded by a fierce adversary named Crawl, who is hell-bent on obtaining an artifact that happens to be on board the Enterprise. Crawl, he sets about all but completely destroying Captain Kirk and company using a swarming fleet of insect-like ships Drones, essentially, severely damaging the Enterprise and leaving the crew members to shuttle to the nearby planet for survival. I won't go into where the story goes after that because I don't know that people who want to see this film will want to know exactly what happens, but that's basically the premise for those of you who haven't seen it. Simon Pegg, as I mentioned, he's this one of the cast here playing Scotty. He's getting a screenplay credit along with Doug Jung. Peg is offering much more emphasis on the character touches and their interactions this time out. Captain Kirk, who has now reached the age of his Starfleet commander father at the time of his death. If you saw the first Star Trek reboot film back in 2009, you realize that Chris Hemsworth played that role and supposedly he's going to be returning for the fourth film in this reboot franchise. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to work him in, whether it's a prequel or it's another time travel premise, but that awaits to be seen. But Kirk is now past the age of his father, and that causes him to take some pause. His current ennui in his position has been weighing heavily on his mind. Meanwhile, Spock, with his home world of Vulcan destroyed in the previous film, he has to consider whether his relationship with the human named Uhura is viable because... Now there's this real big need to keep the Vulcan race alive. So he thinks that he owes it to his race to seek out a Vulcan mate, if possible. Supporting characters like Sulu and Chekhov, they do get a little bit more nuance here than they had in the past, though they're clearly side players still, as they were in the original series. The main theme of Star Trek Beyond is specifically one of relevance in this day and age. And that theme is regarding whether there's more strength through peace and unity than there is through conflict and forcing survival of the fittest scenarios to draw out the best in one's nature. Unfortunately, I think that that theme, as it's presented here, is never quite explored with the kind of richness that it deserves. It settles into more run-of-the-mill good-versus-evil conflicts, only occasionally are these conflicts set aside for the ongoing soap opera of the character decisions. But I do think that those character moments are important because even if the rest of the film seems to be not that engaging, we do actually like the nature of the relationships between the Enterprise crew. There is especially good use here of the frenemy nature of the relationship between the very logical Spock and the more hot-tempered McCoy those beats are perhaps the saving grace of the film in terms of the entertainment value for those people who are not invested in the main plot. And they allow us to root on the heroes even when the villain of this movie isn't much worth making a hiss over. If there's one new thing brought to the series that it happens to steal a lot of scenes for most people who are watching it, 
There's a new supporting character to this series. There's this uh, alien scavenger named Jayla that the Enterprise crew encounter. Also, basically trying to fight for survival on that strange alien planet. Jayla's played by an Algerian-born French actress and dancer named Sophia Boutella. And done quite well, I might add. Jayla's on this planet with a swarming horde around her, and she uses her tremendous fighting skills. She has a lot of technical ingenuity that she uses to protect herself. All the while she's there, she's listening to what is referred to by at least one person in this film as classical music, which is actually 1980s to 90s hip-hop, like Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys. They come into play here, and uh, those of you who watched the trailer will remember that the Beastie Boys Sabotage, which was also used in the 2009 Star Trek, does feature somewhat prominently in this film in one particular scene. Jayla happens to be light years more engaging to watch than, unfortunately, the main villain, Crawl, played by Idris Elba, Crawl's never really interesting or particularly engaging as far as Star Trek baddies go. He merely poses and postures kind of like a cartoon villain. He has vampiric power that sucks away the life essence of those around him to feed his own power. It's a little morbid in that respect. Uh, I, I could have done without it personally. The look of the film deserves the highest praise, though. Lots of attention has been given to these alien species, particularly those in the alabaster-skinned Jayla, who has stark black accents. She has a really cool look. I don't know if it's very realistic for somebody who's been abandoned for such a long time, but I do think that a lot of the fans of this film will probably gravitate toward Jayla. Perhaps you'll see some Jaylas out there on Halloween. Scale-faced crawl, even though you don't really recognize Idris Elba underneath all of that makeup and prosthetics, it actually works. He looks cool. I mean, he does not look like Idris Elba, at least, you know, not through most of this movie. There's even smaller roles that get plenty of attention for this entry, and that leaves a lot of well-known actors unrecognizable in their makeup. And a lot of the smaller roles get plenty of individual attention. I don't think there's any short shrift given to the look of this film at all, except in one notable case, which I'll get to in a moment. Although Justin Lin is primarily known for directing the Fast and Furious films, the change in the director I don't think necessarily makes Star Trek beyond heavier on action just because Justin Lin's on board than the prior entries in the reboot series. The action's pretty good. Uh, it taps into Justin Lin's skills as a director because he's very used to handling tight edits and a lot of the effects-enhanced stunt work. You know, as far as editing goes, there are no less than four people who are credited as this film's editors. And there's a whole host, in terms of getting the look right, of effects and design artists. When you get to the effects and design artists in the end credits, they seem to scroll on and on and on all the way to oblivion. You might begin to think that it's never going to end at that point. I think specifically Justin Lin's handling of the allure of space, aesthetically anyway, is a true strong suit. He draws out the sexiness, if you want to call it that, of the scenes of Federation bases, the majesty of starship interiors in a way that I think captures the elegance and the significance of human exploration of the galaxy somewhat for the first time on the screen since some of the early films in the original Star Trek series, which had a much more romanticized notion of space exploration that had been all but completely lost. And I think this film captures a little bit more of that than we have seen in recent entries. There's a lot of shots that linger on the inventiveness of the advanced technology. There's this particular star base known as Starbase Yorktown, which seems like this real MC Escher kind of concept of a spherical space station in which gravity is relative. You know, people are walking upside down or right side up in 
contrast to other people within that sphere because it's out in space. So gravity is kind of relative, as I said. It's, that's kind of a fantastic concept in every sense of the word. And a, l- a little bit of Star Trek trivia here. Uh, that star base is known as Yorktown. And it just so happens that Yorktown was the original name of the Enterprise, the USS Enterprise, in the first draft of the original Star Trek series by Gene Roddenberry. So aesthetically, it's nice. Camera work sweeps through rooms. There's corridors that we go down. We kind of zoom low. And, you know, you can appreciate all of the details that have gone into the clean and articulate and very immaculate set design. Outer space shots are pretty much as gorgeous as they've ever been in the series, whether you're just watching ships in transport or you're in the middle of battle sequences that feel cataclysmic in scope. And it's not a perfect movie. For instance, Justin Lin, I feel, struggles a bit more in between those big set pieces, and specifically in the way that he clumsily handles some of the more obvious comedic beats that are put in here for laughs. Some of them are a little bit groan-worthy in their obviousness. He's even less assured with the emotional core of this film, and that includes this awkward, off-again romance that exists between Spock and Uhura, Some of the other character beats seem a little bit forced in here. Uh, Also, in contrast to the brightly lit and colorful setup to the film when it's in Starfleet mode, a lot of this movie's middle hour is very dimly shot. It's very murky. It's hard to tell what's going on, and especially when you're down there on the planet. I can appreciate that the planet is pretty dark. You know, a lot of the places that they encounter, it would not make sense to have a lot of lighting because this is uh, undeveloped territory. But it's really hard to tell what's going on. Space battles in particular also seem to lack a core perspective for us to follow. There needs to be some semblance of spatial logistics. And I think that a lot of times there's just a lot of cool shots here, but they don't really make sense. We can't tell exactly what's going on. So if you have a prolonged battle sequence in space, it would be nice to know what people are, where people are going, what they're trying to achieve. It's hard to tell here because there's just too much pulling back and trying to make cool, interesting shots instead of trying to tell the story about what's going on in that scene. And that makes it difficult for us as viewers to follow what's going on during these entire sequences. I think these scenes also exemplify a lack of resonance at the core of this film. You know, Crawl is set up to be the adversary to Captain James T. Kirk on a level that perhaps will rival that of Khan from Into Darkness. You know, we're we're trying to get to a mano a mano struggle by the end of the film, but I think that his development does feel rushed and forced in a manner. It doesn't make for a compelling matchup between Kirk and Crawl the way that the best Star Trek stories tended to do with their respective villains. Crawl is very generic in his own cookie-cutter alien way. I don't think that, even if you're a fan of this movie, that you'll come away from this film thinking, boy, I really wish Crawl would show up in the next movie, in the next movie. We don't really want to see him pop up now and again to take Kirk on as the big bad. Although I think that a lot of people, on the other hand, will think that they would like to see J-Law in a future entry, perhaps even becoming part of the crew. So in in a way, you take the good, you take the bad with this film. And speaking of taking good and bad, there's action pieces here, and those are the some of the highlights, but they are well done technically, you know, with the exception of not really being able to tell what's going on, so I guess it's a failure in that way. But there's an exhilaration factor that this film seems to be going for, 
but it still gets weighed down by a lot of formula antics. You know, we get these predictable last-second saves. You usually get those from bad action movies like, for instance, a lot of the Fast and Furious films. You know, you get Scotty jumping off of a space pod that's teetering on the edge of a cliff. I would never have imagined James Doohan actually doing that in any particular flavor of Star Trek you want. There's this improbable pullout from a spaceship's nosedive. Again, this is off of a cliff. I guess that that brings back the term cliffhanger in a way, although it doesn't really reinvent things in a way that won't bore more modern audience who are accustomed to cliffhanger moments within the course of their action movies. If I have to sum up the film, I would say that despite some pretty enjoyable character moments and some of the more wonderful exploration of the gorgeousness of space, Star Trek Beyond is, for me, it ends up being one of the more middling big screen efforts. I have liked pretty much every Star Trek film with the exception of Star Trek V, and even that I'll sit and watch if it's on. So I, I am a fan. I would not say I'm hardcore, though. But this one kind of ranks into a lesser effort for me. So kind of on the lower end of Star Trek films, I was just only moderately engaged by it. If you're a hardcore Trek fan, there may be mixed feelings here because it's still not the Star Trek that you grew up with, but it is more of appeal to devout Trekkers than previous entries. And I think that it definitely is going to hit a little bit more with Star Trek fans than those who have a just passing interest. On the other hand, I also think that this entry is the least likely to appeal to those who happen to be jumping onto the series. This is not the best movie to start with. If you started watching with 2009's entry and have gotten to this point, I think that you'll like this one the least. So Star Trek Beyond is kind of a film at odds with itself. It's thrilling and thudding. It's spectacular and sputtering. It's magnificent and muddled. So it captures for a moment some of the best high concept elements that the Roddenberry-inspired reboot has had to offer to date, and yet it also contains a lot of those rudimentary moments that show just how tone-deaf the makers of these films in this new reboot series have been as far as what today's audiences really want to see in a big-screen Star Trek adventure. Whether you're a Star Trek fan or not, there's something here that seems to be missing for you. You know, my feelings about this film are much like the feeling of the futuristic outer space locale of Starbase Yorktown, which happens to exist at the heart of this film story. It contains a plethora of fantastical concepts that seem far more mundane when you get to a closer inspection. It has much more emphasis on design than on the basics of its story. And that leads us as the viewers to continue to ask ourselves which way the narrative is up or down at any given moment. So I'm giving Star Trek Beyond three stars out of four. And three stars on my scale means that I do think that it is recommended for people who are Star Trek fans. If you've been on board for Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness, the last two J.J. Abrams movies, you'll probably enjoy yourself enough to feel justified sitting through Star Trek Beyond. Obviously, this is going to be considered a tick-up for those people who were disappointed with Star Trek Into Darkness, those people who really enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness for the action and a lot of the thrills are probably going to be somewhat disappointed. So it really depends on your perspective uh, as far as what your expectations are going to be. Three stars out of four for Star Trek Beyond. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I just want to mention that if you want to support the show, the best way you can do that is to go to patreon.com slash quipster. 
and leave a donation. Every dollar you pledge goes straight into the production of this podcast. Anything that you can contribute to doing that, if you've been enjoying the show so far, is greatly appreciated. I thank you so much if you can do that. Also, if you want to support the show but you don't have the money right now, you can do so by leaving a review on iTunes and let other people know to check it out. The Quipster Film Review Podcast is the name of the show. Until next time, thanks everyone, and enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. 